I'm tired of hearing this because I sometimes just go back over it, just me and the Lord, just to kind of renew my mind and my thinking to all of this. So remember some very important things. Your faith is on trial. When you believe God to receive something into your life, something that he's promised you, something he's given to you, you activate your faith and the enemy is going to oppose, contradict, defy that faith. And that's what it means when the Bible talks about your faith being on trial. So I want you to think of this, though, in terms of a literal trial. Like, for instance, Father God is the judge, okay? So in the trial of your faith, there is a judge, and the judge in your faith case is um, Father God, and the good news is the judge has already ruled in your favor. The judge has already ruled in your favor. Then we see that your heart is the jury, and this is, this is really, really important here. Your heart is the jury. Because remember, in a jury trial, the jury can override the judge. The, the jury can override the judge. And then Satan is the prosecutor or the accuser. In uh, the book of Peter, First or Second Peter, I forget which one, he says that, that um, your adversary, the devil, that word adversary there literally means, literally means an opponent in a lawsuit. So we know that Jesus said that if we believe in our heart without doubting, that we will have whatever it is that we ask, that we will have whatever it is that we say, that we will have whatever it is that, that we, we pray and believe him for. So what is the prosecutor, the, 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 your adversary, what is the devil trying to do when your faith is put on trial? He's trying to plant uh, doubt in the jury's mind, or in this case, the jury is your heart. So he's trying to persuade your heart to convince your heart to produce doubt in your heart, okay? Now, a couple of things. The judge has already ruled in your favor, and we said last week, the judge's ruling in your favor is eternal, irrevocable, and irreversible. It is impossible for the devil to change the judge's mind, but he doesn't have to change the judge's mind. He only has to change yours. Are you seeing this? In, in, a, in a jury trial, the prosecutor does not have to change the judge's mind. He only has to change the jury's mind. And so because your jury is the heart when your faith is on trial, you know, it doesn't matter. I mean, it matters, but even though Father God has ruled in, in your favor, if your heart decides otherwise, then it will override and cancel out the judge. So the devil's simple strategies then against you all revolve around persuading your heart to doubt. All right, let's go to James chapter 1 then. That's a quick review. James chapter 1 and verses 6, 7, and 8. James chapter 1, 6, 7, and 8. It says, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So he's saying that we can ask and we can receive if we ask by faith, but the man who doubts, he says, is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed, for let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Now, let's go to Mark chapter 11, verse 22. Mark chapter 11 and verse 22. Um, I don't I don't know if y'all can hear it, but I got something wanky going on in the sound up here. Is, can, can you hear it out there, Greg, Mark? I don't know. I don't know if it's the monitors behind me or 
Sounds like I'm hearing myself twice. Can, is it, can y'all hear me or is it, is it that way with you? A little odd. Amen. Okay, all right. All right, so um, Mark 11, uh, 22. Um, if you got that turned, I'll put it up on the screen. It says, so Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Have faith in God. For assuredly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Whatever you're doing is clearing it up, so thank you. So one more time. So Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God, for assuredly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain, so whoever, this, this isn't just if the preacher says it or, or, you know, if the specially called and anointed or appointed say it, this is available to every born again believer. This is available, well, you know, I, I, I'm saying born again believer, but we see a centurion who was not born again, who exercised the greatest faith that Jesus had ever witnessed. And this man wasn't born again, couldn't be born again yet, right? So again, I'll, I'll, I'll walk that back for a minute. Because God's given to every man, every person, the measure, the deposit of faith in their heart. So he says, assuredly. Remember, if Jesus says assuredly, he's about to tell you something that doesn't seem possible. If Jesus says assuredly, he's about to tell you something that, that's going to kind of you know, boggle your mind a little bit. But he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. What I'm saying now is right, even though it might offend your sensibilities, it may seem impossible to you. This is not impossible, but this is is exactly how this works. For assuredly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be removed, be cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that those things he says will be done, he will have whatever he says. Therefore, verse 24, I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Now, these are some of the most important verses. And they're all, you know, if if it's God's word, it's important. I understand that, okay? But when it comes to understanding the mechanics of faith, when it comes to understanding the, the power of faith, when it comes to understanding how to operate in faith and how... To, to use your faith as a tool. Remember, Jesus used his faith as a tool. He used his faith as, as a medical instrument to, to bring healing. He used, he used his faith to feed hungry people. He used his faith to, to walk on water. He, he used his faith to multiply fish. I mean, again, he used his faith as a tool. And, and he's showing you and me how to use our faith as a tool. And he's explaining to us hear exactly how it works and I think part of the problem and I'll just speak for myself on this is I think sometimes part of the problem is we way overthink this and it's really not that complicated as a matter of fact if I'd have went a different route tonight and maybe next week I would have talked to you uh, uh, about you know the default position for a born-again spirit is faith Um, I believe so much so that you could say it this way your spirit is stuck on faith. Your spirit, your born-again spirit doesn't know how to doubt. Remember I told you last week, doubt doesn't come without assistance. In other words, there's, there's forces that you can't see that are manipulating things around you 
that are that are that are that are that are ultimately trying to persuade your heart to doubt because the devil knows that if he can't convince the jury of your heart to doubt he can't stop you from receiving everything that God has for you to receive so this is when I say the default position, in other words, your born again spirit is it's sitting on G, waiting on. Oh man, I mean, it's like God, whatever you say, let's go do it. I'm ready to walk on water right now. I'm ready to raise the dead right now. It's your mind that tells you you can't. It's your mind that tells you that it won't work. It's your mind that says that that this doesn't make sense. And so when we talk about believing in the heart, remember what your heart is. It's your cardia. And the cardia of a man or a woman is the totality, big words like mayonnaise, the totality of the immaterial man. What does that mean? You are three parts. One part material, two parts immaterial. The two parts of you that are immaterial is your spirit and your soul. Your spirit is ready to go, right? Your spirit doesn't know how to doubt. So the enemy is trying to persuade and influence your soul because he knows that if he can get to the part of your your heart's the jury, not your spirit alone and not your soul alone, not just your mind and emotion. Your soul is your mind and emotions and your choices, your mind, your 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 mind, emotions, and will, your thoughts, feelings, and and choices. And so the devil knows your spirit again, it's stuck on faith. It it couldn't doubt if it tried. So he knows though that that he's got to try to persuade your mind if he's going to persuade the jury that is your heart, because your heart is your spirit and soul. It's the two combined, okay? It's very, very important. So when you look at this then, and, you know, it's, I'm not trying to treat the Word of God like a timeshare sales pitch, but, you know, you're looking for the catch. In other words, you're looking for where, okay, um, believe, I believe, you're looking for this, you're looking for that. But, you know, the, the part is if you believe and do not doubt in your heart. That's the part that seems so hard. And I'm, I'm using that word seem intentionally. That's the part that seems so hard. My friend, if we will learn how to get ready for trial, it won't be hard. The reason it seems so hard not to doubt is because we haven't learned how to get ready for the trial. Because what's the trial ultimately about? The trial is ultimately about persuading the jury of your heart to doubt. That's the whole focus of what the devil's trying to do. If you will understand the, the tactics that he uses to try to produce doubt in your heart, you will be light years ahead of where you are right now to defend yourself against his attacks to try and produce that doubt in your heart. Is this making sense to you? Now... I know that Jesus is saying more than this here, okay? But I'm trying to, 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 to put this in a way that it makes it so clear that you can't confuse it, okay? And so, according to Jesus, according to Jesus, faith is believing you have already received something you don't yet see or feel. All right? That's important now. That's what he's talking about here. When he says, if you believe, when you pray, believe that you've already received. When you pray, believe that you've already received. And whatever you've asked for, you will have, you will possess. So this is how faith works. Faith doesn't believe when I see it. Faith prays, and when we release our faith, we don't, we don't wait to see if we're going to receive. We don't wait to see if it's worked, 
if it's going to work. We believe in that moment that we've already received. Are you hearing me? This is really, really important. This is why the Bible says, let the poor man say I'm rich. Let the weak man say I'm strong. Let the healed man say, uh, let the sick man say I'm healed. It requires no faith for a sick man to talk about how sick he is or a poor man to talk about how broke he is or a weak man to talk about how weak he is. We believe we, receive, we, we need, we need re- financial resources. Father God promises us financial resources. We pray, we believe that we've received them. We've already... Re- I, when did you receive them? I received them when I prayed. Right? So you say, so they're in your bank account now? I received them when I prayed. Okay? So, according to Jesus, this, is, this, is, this part you've got to get established as a, as a baseline. According to Jesus, faith is believing you have already received something you don't yet see or feel. I've already received it. I don't see it yet. I don't feel it yet. I don't feel any different. I don't, I don't see anything different. I don't see the balance in my check account change. I don't see, uh, it really anything different in my children. And, 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 you know, if you have wayward children, I don't really see anything changing in their situation. But I prayed. I released my faith. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. I believe I've already received, even though I don't yet see anything or feel anything different. Now, if your faith is on trial and faith is believing you have already received something you don't yet see or feel, what do you think your adversary is targeting? What is he trying to get you to doubt in your heart? Please, let's, let's dig in here now. What is he trying to get you to doubt in your heart? In other words, if faith is believing you've already received something you don't yet see or feel, and, the, and your adversary is trying to get you to doubt, what, what, is, what, what exactly is he trying to get you to doubt? Is he trying to get you to doubt there is a God? No, I mean, he'd love to try to do that, and he certainly tries that. But in this particular situation, he's trying to get you to doubt that you've already received. Are you seeing this? It's... it's He's not trying to, I'm not saying he doesn't want you to doubt or that God is good. I'm not saying that he doesn't want you to doubt that the Bible says by his stripes you were healed. But remember what I said, it's, it's not about like completely uh, obliterating any idea of God that you have or any thought of God being good to you or blessing you that you have. He doesn't have to do that to keep you from receiving. All he's got to do is get you to question whether or not you've already received. If he can get you to doubt or question that you've already received something that you don't yet see or feel, then he's done his job. He's won his case. In other words, this is where the devil is going to apply the pressure. If, if, if according to Jesus, faith is believing you've already received something you don't yet see or feel, then the enemy is going, well, that's... that's that's going to be pretty easy for me to convince them that they haven't received it yet because I'll just ask them to show it to me. I'll ask them to, you know, if they're telling me that they believe God has, has um, you know, got them out of debt, then I'll ask them to show me the paid off credit cards. And this is the trap that people fall into over and over again. If, if, if faith is believing you've already received something you don't yet see or feel, the devil's like, man, first thing I'm going to try is, uh, is, is, is get them to move their wrist to see if it's still hurting. Right? 
So what happens? We believe the wrist is healed. We release our faith. We, we declare in the name of Jesus that we're healed. But remember, Jesus says at that moment, you believe you've already received something you don't yet see or feel. And if you believe and do not doubt in your heart, you will possess what you've believed you've already received. So the devil's got to stop it before you, it actually manifests you know, in your body. And so what is he going to do? First thing he's going to do is, oh, so you're saying you're already healed. We'll see if your wrist is still hurting. must not have worked see that as soon as those words come out of your mouth it must not have worked nothing happened still waiting on god see i mean prosecutor he he just rests his case he goes on to something else i mean he's like in and out you know what i'm saying i mean he comes in in a rush in the courtroom says a few words and next thing you know, we're no longer believing we've already received because we don't yet see it or feel it. If your faith is on trial and you have already received something you don't yet see or feel, what do you think your adversary is targeting? What is he trying to get you to doubt in your heart? He's trying to get your jury to doubt that you have already received what you don't yet see or feel. Now, remember... The jury of our heart, if the, if the jury of our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God and receive from him whatever we ask. Let me give you uh, a paraphrase then of, of what Jesus is saying in Mark 11. Right, just using the terminology that we've been using. Faith is believing you have already received something you don't yet see or feel. And if you believe you have already received and do not allow the jury of your heart to be persuaded to doubt, you will have what you asked for. That's from the master himself. That's from Jesus' own words in the context of the greatest faith lesson that has ever been taught. Now, this next section, I don't know how far we're going to get through this. I mentioned a little bit of this on Sunday morning. And to kind of give you, uh, I guess, just a little window in... Into, into my world. The Lord speaks to me in different ways. Um, I know he speaks to you. When I say in different ways, you know, sometimes it's in prayer, sometimes it's through his word when I'm reading and he'll prompt me and, and emphasize something. But, and I guess he, because I'm curious and he knows that because he created me, um, one of my favorite ways and some of the most powerful things that he's ever taught me and revealed to me, it simply started with a question. Just ask me a question. And I know it's him, still small voice inside of me. Just ask me a question, right? Remember the question? It's on our bulletin board again. Sister Pam felt led of the Spirit to put it on there again for 2020. Don't you want to know what kind of life's on the other side of the wall you keep hitting? Okay? Well, that was the question he was asking me about. Son, when are you going to finish the book, right? Don't you want to know what, what it feels like? You know, don't you want to know what's, you know? So, again... And there's other things in my life, praise God. But don't you want to know, that was, that was a question. Sometimes it's a statement. A, a really important one was, um, my, my people are wanting me to do things in their life that they haven't given me room to do. Sometimes these questions turn out to be year-long sermon series. Right? So the other morning, it was, it, we get up really early at our house, or you know, 5 o'clock, for some of you that's late. But you know, So I was in the kitchen, it wasn't daylight yet. I was trying to find some water and get the Keurig turned on. 
And, you know, I always try to wake up and talk to the Lord. I, I, I'm, some things I confess when I first wake up. So I've, I've set my mind on him already. And I'm standing there in the kitchen, and he asked me this question. I knew it was him, you know. And, 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 and the question was this. He said, how much money do you have to have before you'll believe you're rich? How much money do you have to have before you'll believe you're rich? And, you know, so he was setting me up in a, in a good way, right? And so I kind of started, you know, like, well, Lord, you know, I guess that depends on the person, you know. I mean, some, some folks in our world, if they had $100, they would think they were rich. And there's some folks that are multimillionaires, and they don't think they're rich. And, and um, but then it was like, I'm not talking about other people, so I'm talking about you. I mean, that's kind of not, not those exact words, you know for me personally, and I, I was like, well, Lord, I, you know, I'm, I'm blessed. I mean, I don't really think about it. I don't guess. I mean, you've blessed me so much, and I'm so thankful, and, it, and I still, it's, you know, I'm just, you know, he's engaging my mind in, 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 the, in the dialogue and the conversation, you know, so this is, this is what he ultimately brought me to, okay? He said, believing you're rich has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. He said, it's the classic mistake of judging spiritual realities with physical condition. You, you can't keep making that mistake. Now, now watch this. So I, I start taking some notes. I do it first on my phone, dictate them in. Then I get in the car and I'll just put my notes on and I'll dictate it or convert my voice to text. Sometimes it's wanky, but I remember. And then I get here, it's quiet in my office early, and we start having this dialogue and I start typing. And so I'm just going to kind of go through some of the things that, that he spoke to me, okay? First of all, he says, operating in faith in, involves believing something you cannot see in order to change something you can see, okay? I mean, I've tried every way in the world to say, talk about faith. I don't think I've ever said it that way. Operating in faith involves believing something you cannot see in order to change something you can see. Preparing for trial means anticipating things the devil will use against you and being ready to respond to him with the word of God. And I got to thinking about that now in, in um, when you know, it's not just the prosecutor that prepares a case. When someone is a defendant in a, in a lawsuit or a criminal proceeding, they also prepare a case because they know that the prosecutor is going to make certain arguments. And, and a good defense attorney is going to anticipate the arguments that the prosecutor is going to make, and he's going to be prepared to answer those so that the jury will, will not be persuaded by the prosecutor, but will continue to believe that his defendant has pled uh, healed, has pled righteous, has pled free, has pled, pled rich, has, has pled healed. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? In other words, has, has pled innocent. Um, and so the prosecutor's trying to convince the, the jury otherwise. And, and so the defense's responsibility is not just to try to answer it as it comes, are you hearing me? A good defense attorney doesn't wait to see what the prosecutor's going to say to decide how he's going to respond. He anticipates that ahead of time. 
Are you, are, you, are you following what I'm saying here? He anticipates that ahead of time. And when it comes to our adversary, the opponent, uh, our opponent and our faith lawsuit, he's not hard to anticipate. He's been doing the same thing for generation after generation after generation. He uses the same arguments. He uses the same strategies. He uses the same tactics over and over and over again. He used them against Adam and Eve. He used them against Jesus. And he's trying to use them against me and you a hundred times a day if we'll allow him. And if we're ignorant of his devices, he has the upper hand every single time. Here's another question. What does your enemy, what does he have to say in court to persuade your jury to believe him and not the word of God? What, would it, what does it take for you? Are you understand what I'm saying? What, what evidence, what circumstantial evidence, what, what argument, what, um, uh, 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 praise God, um, statistic, what research, what, what is it that, that the prosecution has to bring in order for the jury of your heart to doubt. Now, stay with me. I feel some of you slipping away. I know I'm running, I know I'm running out of time, but I need to go with this for a minute. You need, you need to hear this for a minute, okay? In other words, this is not a word the Lord spoke to me. I'm trying to help you understand how it fell on my heart. It's like, what's the threshold? In other words, what's your tolerance level for contradiction? What's your tolerance level, right, for, before you say, okay, I don't know what, I missed it, you know? I thought I believed I already received, but obviously I hadn't. In other words, how much pressure does he have to apply to you before you back down? It's a question you need to ask, you need to answer because for most people it's very little. For, for most people, man, I'm telling you, it's it, I mean, it's very very little resistance, very little. Defiance, very little contradiction from uh, the, the 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 prosecution side before the jury just rolls. Man, I mean, they're just like, "What are we doing on this loser side? Let's get over here." You know, why do we ever think that was for us anyway? So you need that's a that's a question that I'm in the process of answering myself. Listen to me now. I'm just letting you in on a you know you you uh, eavesdrop on a conversation me and the Lord had right. But it was for all of us. Don't misunderstand. It was for all of us. So, I mean, what does he? Ha- how much does he have to say? How diff- How hard of a case does he have to present? I mean, how how hard it, are you making it for him? How about this? What does he have to say in court to persuade your jury to believe him and not the word of God? What circumstantial evidence does he have to present for you to no longer believe you've already received what you don't yet see or feel? Lord said this to me, and I know we've said this in one form or fashion um, over the years. Believing is not based upon the presence or absence of symptoms. It's based upon the Word of God, what He, what God has done for you and freely given to you. I mentioned this back probably in February, maybe before that in a sermon. The Lord revisited and He Correct me, I, did, I should have followed up on this. I just mentioned it, and I didn't follow up on it. 
How many times have I said it? How many times has it been spoken to me? How many times have you said it? How many times has it been spoken to you? Believe with me for a good report. Believe with me for a good report. This is the attitude a lot of people have towards operating in faith. You say, Pastor Mark, what's wrong with that? You already have a great report. You already have the best report that could ever be given to a human being on planet Earth. Why are you waiting to see what the doctor says before you decide which report you're going to believe? Do not wait until you receive the report from the doctor to believe the great report you already have from the Lord. Who shall believe our report, he asked, and to whom shall the arm of the Lord uh, be revealed? The arm of the Lord will be revealed to those who believe the report of the Lord. If you doubt in your heart the report of the Lord, you will not see the arm of the Lord revealed on your behalf. So one more time, faith is believing you've already received something you don't yet see or feel. Now listen, if you've got a t-shirt that says this, if you've got uh, you know, a cross stitch on your wall that says this, if, if, if you've got you know, uh, a keychain that says this, or you know, something on a flip-flop somewhere, or something like that, I'm not, I'm not trying to offend you, okay? Just, just hear me out, please. Religion has this cute little acronym that sums up the error. P-U-S-H. Standing for pray until something happens. Man, this is the Lord speaking to me right now. I'm telling you, he's like, he's like, you know, pray until something happens. I'm like, well, Father, you know, I mean, pray till something happens, right? He said it's a cute little acronym that sums up the error he's trying to expose and reveal to us. He said prayer alone is not the answer. Prayer without faith will not get the job done no matter how long, how hard, or how much you pray. Remember, Jesus said, you will not be heard for your many words. The subtle error in this approach goes back to, I will believe it when I see it, so let's pray until we see something happen. From the Holy Spirit to us, nothing is going to happen until you believe it has already happened. Nothing's going to happen until you believe it's already happened. So he said, beware of expert testimony. What about expert testimony? I love doctors. My son's a nurse. It's a, it's a beautiful, wonderful, noble profession. I believe that men and women are called into medicine just like someone would be called to preach or into music or into engineering or into accounting. Amen. So please don't misunderstand me. But what we have got to understand, if we're going to grow and be strong in faith, what the doctor says about the problem has absolutely nothing to do with what God says about it. One is what you can't see, one is what you can Remember what, what, what the Lord said. He said, faith is using something you can't see to change something you can see. So right from the beginning, 
right from the beginning, we're so used to, to relying on what we can see, this, this plays right into the prosecutor's hands. This is why he keeps trying to bring us over to something we can see to try to find evidence or proof that, that we've received what, what, what we're wanting to receive. And we get the two mixed up. And this is how doubt winds up creeping in our hearts. If you have two conflicting reports, the question is simple. Which one are you going to believe? Two different perspectives on the same problem. Which one do you choose uh, to, to allow to persuade the jury of your heart? The one you can see or the one you cannot? The report based upon facts or the great report based upon the truth? As long as what you can see influences what you believe, your faith will be contaminated with doubt. As long as, as what you can see influences what you believe, your faith will be contaminated by doubt. Let me say it another way. As long as your problem is influencing your faith, your faith will not influence your problem. So which one sway in the jury? The Word, what it says, or your circumstances, symptoms, and sense realm evidence. Now, I know I'm out of time. Give me just a couple of minutes. I've already said this. So I wrote that down, and then when I got here, I started at the top and started working my way down in my notes. So this is where the part in here about how much money do you need to have before you believe you are rich. Looking to outward conditions before believing spiritual realities. See, the spiritual reality of this, are you ready? Every person in this room... Is, is rich. He's made you rich. He's made you rich. Now I know I used to, I passed Mark, what? come on. No, I, listen to me. You're not going to get to heaven one day, find out there you've been rich every day of your born again life on planet earth and come find me wanting to know why I didn't tell you that. Like, dude, I sat in that church for 28 years and you never told me I was rich? You're rich! The blessing of the Lord is upon you, and the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. He adds no sorrow with it. And we can talk about rich in friends and rich in this and rich in that. Yes, rich, rich, rich in things that money can't buy. But my friend, you are rich in goods, in finances. See, you look, why don't we believe it? Because we look at how much money we got. Right? You're telling me I'm rich, man. I ain't got enough money to pay my power bill this month. You're telling me I'm rich. See, again, notice now, that devil, he, didn't, he just phoned that one in. He didn't even have to come to court for that one. You're making his case for him. Remember what the Lord told us? Don't ever make the devil's case for him. See, Father God's trying to convince you that he's made you rich. Your enemy's trying to convince you that you've been broke, your family was broke, you're broke, your kids will be broke, and, and, and you, you, know, you just aren't, blah, blah, blah. Now, see, he's lying to you. You're rich. And if you wait till you have a certain dollar figure to believe it, you're not ever going to have that dollar figure, or even if you do, you still won't believe you're rich. Believing you're rich has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have in the bank. Believing you are healed has nothing to do with how you feel. One more time, believing you're rich has nothing to do with how much money you have in the bank. For some reason, the Lord just kept, 
Matter of fact, it's been a few weeks and he still prompts me on that. All right, I'm going to finish right here. How long do you have to be symptom-free before you believe you are healed? How many tests, scans, or doctor's reports do you need to believe you are healed? Sadly, I know people who still don't believe it even after the doctor has told them they are. Right? You know folks like that? They dealt with some kind of illness years ago, and they've been given a clean bill of health, but they live in constant fear that it's going to come back on them. In this case, they've had doctors tell them they're okay. They still don't believe it. How long do you have to go without using drugs to believe you're free? Is it a month? 90 days? A year? How many drug tests do you have to pass? How many programs do you have to complete? How many people close to you have to believe it before you believe you're free? Before you quit calling yourself an addict or a falsely modest recovering addict? How long do you have to be good and live right before you believe you're righteous? How many weeks in a row do you have to pray and read your Bible? Or how many church services and Sunday school classes do you need to attend? One more time, how much money do you need to have before you believe you are rich? The reality is you are rich. The reality is you are healed. The reality is you are free. The reality is you are righteous. And believing you're rich, free, healed, and righteous has nothing to do with how much money you have, how few symptoms you have, how uh, what the outward circumstances are in your life. You're rich because God says you're rich. You're healed because God says you're healed. You're free because God says you're healed. You're righteous because God says you're righteous. But here's the thing. You'll never enjoy the riches that already belong to you if you wait for a certain dollar amount to be in your bank account before you believe it. You'll, you'll never enjoy the righteousness that he's freely given you if you wait till you reach some ideal level of obedience to believe you're righteous. You'll never reach that ideal level and you'll never enjoy the righteousness that he gave you as a free gift, the freedom that he gave you as a free gift. Amen. Stand with me. It's 8 o'clock. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. So one more time. Faith is believing you have already received something you don't yet see or feel. Faith is using something you cannot see to change something you can see. By virtue of what it is, the very nature of what it is, something you can't see to change something you can, don't let the devil use his number one trick to get you to focus on what you can see and take your eye off of what you can't. That's where he trips so many people up. You see, we start, we start looking... At, at the problem to see if the faith is working. Notice, that is doubt. If you're looking at the problem to see if the faith is working, that means you don't believe it's working. You don't believe it's... it's ah, praise God, I got too many notes on all that. But do you understand what I'm saying here? Abraham, I got all kind of examples in the scriptures. You think all this is just, you know, meeting too much pizza and not getting enough sleep. No, no. There's scripture to back up every bit of this. Father, you're good to us. We love you. I pray that everything we put our hands to today, Father, the rest of this week will, will prosper for your glory. I thank you for the men and women that are present in this room, the men and women and children and everybody else that's watching online. I thank you, Father, that, that through this thing called teaching and preaching, Lord, that people are receiving answers from you, from your Holy Word, from your Holy Spirit. 
that are making a difference in their lives. Father, this nation needs the body of Christ to rise up on the faith that you've given us and change this world. Father, we're not going to change it through our programs, through our philosophies, through, through all of that. The gospel and the power and authority of your kingdom and men and women operating in faith, Lord, is what's going to change this world for your glory. And so I pray that you would help us, Lord, understand, first of all, the importance of faith. Lord, not just for our own lives, as important as it is for our own lives and our own circumstances and families and situations, but Father, how important it is for us to be able to do what you've put us on this earth to do. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. All right, you be blessed. Shake somebody's hand, hug somebody's neck, love somebody in Jesus. Thank you for, I just said that, didn't I? Tell somebody around you good things coming. Forget all that hugging and kissing stuff for now.